Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. If you have your Bibles, we're going to do a special uh, topical study this morning, really a series, probably a three-part series on the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand. we got Richard and Greg and they're giving their exercise and they'll bring a Bible right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 this morning. I told first service I have a cold and I've taken a couple uh, Benadryl, so if I fall asleep when I'm up here, you'll understand. <laughs> kind of, I, think he's, I think he's dead. He, he's not talking. I'll be all right. So my nose really was running first service, so, but. So if I don't hug you or shake your hand this morning, it's only because I love you. <laughs> For those of you that I do shake your hand, I don't like you, and that's why I'm shaking. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended... What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophet, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The title of my message this morning is The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, this opportunity to open up your word and to know, Lord, that your word brings to us life. Your Holy Spirit, as you you reveal yourself to us, Lord, we understand who you are and what you want for our lives. And it's a good plan. It's a plan to draw closer to you and to know you as our Lord and our Savior. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, just know about you, but they're not your Lord, their Lord, their Savior. Lord, you would especially touch their heart today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the privilege it is, Lord, to live in this nation where we can freely gather together without fear of persecution or being stopped. Thank you for our time. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chuck Swindoll tells a story that he heard from his barber, he said. It goes like this. I think it was my barber who told me several years ago what they used to do with their kids when they were small. He said, we had the most curious kids in the world, and we know no matter what we did, they would find the gifts. So we had to deal with our neighbors. We would keep all the neighbors' presents in our closet, and we would give all of our gifts to our neighbors. Naturally, the kids would peek, but we acted like we didn't know about it. And then Christmas Eve, when all the kids were asleep, we would swap and wrap all the gifts. And we said, you should have seen my kids when they looked out in the street and saw bicycles being ridden. They they thought they were going to get for Christmas. (laughs) 
Well, I hope you had a very blessed Christmas. You know, maybe you received some gifts that you weren't expecting. Maybe something was a surprise. And, uh, you know, maybe like my wife, she knew exactly what she was getting because she ordered everything herself. And it's the best way to do it, actually. I learned years ago it doesn't work if I do it. So maybe you got the latest TV or video player or, 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 or you know, video player, video game system. I'm going back in time. Maybe you got a VHS for Christmas. You know. Beautiful jewelry, uh, tickets to the big game. They're all great. I mean, the, the, to be able to give gifts, and we recognize that, that every gift, I mean, comes from, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. There is no shadow of turning. That all good gifts come from the Lord. But perhaps there are some of you here this morning that have yet to open really the gifts that God has for you. And that's what I want to look at this morning in our text. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the gifts, number one. Number two, we're going to see the purpose of the gifts. And number three, we're going to see the results of the gifts. We'll spend most of our time on the gifts, number one. Paul starts out looking at verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is a single word definition of the gospel. The good news, God offering salvation to sinful and unworthy mankind. We know, we all know the best gift of all was Jesus Christ coming to this earth. He is the good news that changed this world and can change our lives for eternity. God's greatest gift to mankind is all summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is the God of grace because he, He's the God who freely gives. His giving has nothing to do with, with what you do or have done. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. And God has given us the gift of grace that saves us. But he's also given us the gift of grace that empowers us to serve him. And that's why Paul says in verse 8, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You might say we've been given gifts with a purpose. I mean, if you get a bicycle for a gift at Christmas, you don't leave it in the garage. No, you go and you, you ride it. If you get a, a gift card to your favorite restaurant, you know, oh, that's great. And you never use it. What's, what's the point? In the same way, God has given us gifts with a purpose. And Paul lays out a few of those gifts here and their purpose in Ephesians 4 and a result of using those gifts. Now, there's just a few gifts listed here, certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, not inclusive of all gifts, but some are there given for a purpose of the church. Sadly, there are those today who think that the purpose of the church is for the pastor the guy, the minister, to, to minister to all the needs of the people in the church. I hope you don't think that of me because I will greatly disappoint you. I will let you down. But there are three reasons for the church today. You may know them. Number one, it's for the exaltation of God. To lift God up, number one. Number two, it's for the edification of the saints. And number three, it's for the evangelization of the world. Let me repeat that. It's number one, exaltation of God. Number two, edification of the saints. And number three, the evangelization of the world. See, in our exaltation of God, we're told in Ephesians 1.12 to live for the praise of His glory. That's why we should live. I'm here on this earth, first and foremost, to glorify and know the God who made me. Now that is only one, only true for, for the, not only true for the church as a whole, but to each person individually. 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I am here on this earth. You are here on this earth to glorify God. That's your purpose. Secondly, the church is here for the edification of the saints, which means we're to be building one another up, encouraging one another. Paul said in Colossians 1.28 that his own goal wasn't to merely evangelize, but to present every man mature in Christ. We're going to focus more on that in a moment. Then thirdly, the third reason that the church exists is for the evangelization of the world, which really is just an outflow of the first two things already. We're here to glorify God. We're here to build up each other. And as a result, we're going to go out and we're going to evangelize the world. Jesus told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he told us to make disciples of all men. Now we need to remember to keep these three principles in their proper order and balance. We can't really emphasize one over the other or take them out of their proper order. You might hear some church say, well, our church is really, we have a, a body ministry. And that we're, we're not really called to evangelism. You know, God may be calling other churches to, to do that. Well, he's calling us to be this little small church and, and we're just like this little family, this body. You know, that's nice not biblical because as we'll see in a moment God has called every church to evangelism and a body ministry and there are other churches out there that might say well we're not really called to teach the Bible or to build up the saints we're a seeker church we're called to to reach the unchurched we're called primarily for evangelism God has not called us they might say to be keepers of the aquarium but fishers of men cute saying but that also is not a biblical one God has called every church to the building up of the saints and the evangelization of the world. And again, God has given a certain gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given for the purpose of His church. In other words, these gifts are meant to be used. See, we're not just called to be saved, though that is great. We are called to serve. Now, for some people, the concept of, of the Christian life is simply, you know, fire insurance. Oh, you know, I, I gave my life to, to God and, and I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm just going to go on and live my life and just sort of according to my own plan and what I want to do and just know that in the end everything's going to be okay. Listen, understand, that's not God's plan for your life. God planned to save you, but then He wants to put you into service. And just as He's given us that gift of grace to be saved, He gives you the gift of grace to serve. And that's what Paul wants us to know from these verses here. Now in verses 8 through 10, speak of the very first gift given, and that is the gift of salvation, and the more gifts to follow. Look at verses 8 through 10. Therefore He says, When He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, He ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. These verses speak of Jesus' death and his resurrection. The price he paid uh, to give us such a wonderful gift of salvation. Now what does it mean when Paul says, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Well, we know that after Jesus was crucified, before he ascended to heaven, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, into Hades, or the place of the dead. In this he fulfilled prophecy, Matthew 12, verse 39-40, when Jesus said, 
An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, during those three days that Jesus' body laid there in that tomb, before he ascended into heaven, before he showed himself to the apostles and, and the others, Jesus descended into the heart of the earth here. That's a place of two compartments. On one side, according to Jesus in Luke 16, it's called Abraham's bosom, or paradise, where the Old Testament believers hung out, the place those who believed in God prior to Christ, uh, looked forward to the coming of the Messiah after they died. Unable to go directly into heaven because Jesus had not uh, died for their sins at this point. On the other side of of the place is called hell or Hades, a place of torment, and thirst where there are still souls there today, waiting God's final judgment and the lake of fire. Where all those that die today, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, will go waiting for that final judgment. But for the believer, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. See, when Jesus died, he went to Abraham's bosom. The the good side led the Old Testament believers into heaven where they are today. Listen to Isaiah 61, verse 1, speaking of Jesus. It says, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Opening those doors. And certainly he does that in our life today. He comes in and and we're we're bound by the, the chains of sin and death. We come to Christ. Those chains are open. But in this particular passage, he led captivity captive. He set the captives free, free to be with God in eternity forever in his presence. So the first gift is our salvation. Second gift, Jesus set the captives free. The third gift, verse 8, he gave gifts to men. It's like Christmas all over again. Now here's the amazing thing. Three days after Jesus was crucified by us, because we all turned our back on him, we all like sheep have gone astray. Yet our Lord is so amazing, so generous, so merciful, that three days after he was crucified, he heaped on us, not grief, he didn't heap on us guilt, but gifts. It says here, he gave gifts to men. Now we need to understand that there is a distinction between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. When you were born into this world, God gave you maybe certain natural abilities. Maybe it was art or music or athletics or, or mechanics. Now, uh, auto mechanics is not one of my natural abilities. My wife can attest to that. I have the natural ability to try to fix things and make them unrepairable. Maybe that's a gift. Huh? I can make things unrepairable. I don't know. But you see, in that sense, we've not all been created equal. Patrick Mahomes and Paul McCartney have different natural abilities. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is, is an incredible quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs who are going to win the Super Bowl this year. And then, uh, just got to throw that in there. And Paul McCartney, well, he's Paul McCartney. I mean, come on. Retired boxer Sugar Ray Leonard once said while he was speaking at Harvard, I consider myself blessed. I consider you blessed. We've all been blessed with God-given talents. Mine just happens to be beating people up. But a, a spiritual gift is something different. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in, in a way that Christ is glorified, believers are edified, 
and the lost is evangelize. And God gives us gifts to accomplish that very thing. Now we talk about the gifts that God has given. We can find a short list here in Ephesians chapter 4. A more extensive list in Romans chapter 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is what we would call the charismatic gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of speaking in tongues, interpreting of tongues, the gift of prophecy, and so on. And I want to look at those gifts over the next couple of weeks and in a continuation on this study of spiritual gifts. But the list here in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Romans 12, you might call them practical gifts. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, made this statement concerning gifts. He said in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, you, uh, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. See, the Bible teaches that every one of us as believers have been given at least one gift, a spiritual gift, to, buy, to be used uh, by the Lord for the unifying and edifying and the building up of the body of Christ. They're supernaturally placed in your life as a Christian, as a believer. And again, verse 8 says, And He gave gifts to men. So it's God who determines what gift or gifts you have. You know, for example, on a Christmas morning, if you have kids, you know, you, you, not all your kids receive the same thing, unless you gave them all a coal and a piece of coal, but, but you give them different gifts. A football, maybe, a, a puzzle, a board game, a dollhouse. Yet although each child does not receive the same gift as others, the parents intended the gift to be used by the, by the whole family. Excuse me. Someone have the gift of healing right now. I'd just be really good. But sometimes you may be envious of maybe the gift that someone else has. You know, maybe they've been, they've been gifted by the Lord to do something and, and you say, oh, I wish I could do that. Or, or again, we try and do things that we are just not gifted in. I've had people come to me and say, I feel the Lord has given me the gift of, of worship and I really need to be on our worship team and, and God's given me that gift. And, and I said, all right, let me hear you sing. I hear him, I say, well, you know, God's word does say make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it was joyful, it was a noise, but I don't know if I'd call that singing. Let's just say that, that's not really your gift. My point is you should be envious of the gifts of others because whatever gift or gifts God has given to us, they're always going to be right for us, right for you. So we need to be appreciative of those gifts that God's given to us, and not, not be, well, how come I got that gift? Why, why didn't I have that gift? Why do they have this gift? I, I want that calling in my life. Be thankful for what God has given you in this life. Let's look at some of those gifts. Look at verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The first on the list we read, Jesus gave some to be apostles. Now the basic meaning for the word apostle is one who is sent out on a mission. In its primary and most technical sense, an apostle is someone who is called in a unique way. It speaks primarily of the twelve apostles who were called by our Lord. Of course, Judas was taken out, replaced by a man named Matthias, and then later on, Paul the apostle came to be an apostle to serve God in that capacity. The apostles really occupy a chief place in church history. Among other things, he gave us a portion of, of what we call our Bible today. They were inspired by God to give us the scriptures. Now, from time to time, the question comes up, do we still have apostles now? Because you hear certain people say, well, I'm apostle so-and-so, and I'm apostle this and apostle that. And, 
Listen, just because someone calls himself an apostle doesn't make them an apostle. But the fact of the matter is, there is no one today that can speak with the authority that the apostles did in the early church. Nor can they uh, be inspired to write any more scripture. With that said, that term apostle uh, was, can be used in a broader sense uh, to those that are called into the ministry. It describes people like Barnabas and, and Silas. And others who were called to go out into the community, maybe start a, a new work, get it up on its feet, and then move on to another community. So in that broader sense, there are those that may have an apostolic type gift, where they go to a certain place, like I said, start a work, get that, that, that work going. And, you know, missionaries have that type of ministry. I think of the late Pastor Chuck Smith, to some degree, he had an apostolic type gift because he's the guy that started the Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Now, over the years, it's expanded to some 2,000 Calvary chapels all over the world, ours being one of them. But God had given Pastor Chuck Smith uh, a gift, something that inspired other young men to go out and pioneer a work in, in a community where there wasn't, uh, you know, a Calvary there. And so this apostolic type calling uh, is, in the strict sense, only for the original 12, uh, they were called to be an apostle. Next on the list, we read that he gave, gave some to be prophets. Now, prophets were someone that was given the ability to see into the future. And often, they would speak of something that was, that was coming, something that was about to happen. And clearly, Scripture teaches that those that claim to be prophets, they, they need to be judged. So if they said something was going to happen, and if it didn't happen, then they would be a false prophet. Now, are there prophets today? I would say, yes, in a sense. God can give us insight into the future. He can give us a sense of what's coming. But it will never contradict Scripture. I think of uh, uh, many years back, probably about eight years back, uh, of the late Harold Camping. He predicted that the end of the world would be May 21st, 2011. When that, did, that didn't happen, he predicted that the rapture would happen October 21st, 2011. So I would say that Harold Camping was not a prophet. Why? Because what he did contradicted Scripture. Now, you know, I, I would, you know, say that before he died, he came to his senses. I read that. He said that his attempt to predict a date was sinful, he said, and his critics had been right in emphasizing the words of Matthew twenty four thirty six of that day, and how an hour knoweth no man. He added that he was now searching the Bible even more fervently, not to find dates, but to be more faithful in his understanding. Praise God for that. But you see, the word for prophet can also be described as one who speaks for another. It has the idea of imparting certain truths. And I think God has raised up different people throughout history to to remind us of what really matters. I think in many ways, the the late Billy Graham had been called to a prophet-type ministry. His son Franklin certainly is. Now there are those with what is called the gift of prophecy. That's a little bit different. We can look at that in the coming weeks. Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And that really began to be fulfilled in Acts chapter 21, where we're told that the apostle Philip had four daughters who were uh, prophets, who prophesied. See, the word prophecy means to declare the truth. It's derived from a Greek word meaning to cause to shine, and it's linked with the prefix pro, which means before. So a person with the gift of prophecy is one who stands before and causes the word of God to shine forth. 
Prophecy is declaring the truth. It's a gift of expounding Scripture, making Scriptures come alive. The Word burns in their hearts and they can't keep it to themselves. They must get it out. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a foretelling. In the New Testament, it is a foretelling. The ministry of, of prophecy can be evidence in the church when a pastor is preaching the Word. Prophecy can be seen in a time when we are believers are just waiting on the Lord and, and the Lord gives just a, just a word of prophecy and, and we share that. Or simply just, you know, you're hanging out with someone and someone shares something with you and you recognize, hey, that's of the Lord. That's a word of prophecy. It fits perfect with that person, what they're going through. God impresses deeply upon your heart and that's what a person needs to hear. Next on the list, we see the word evangelist. What's an evangelist? Well, it's someone who's a bearer of good news. They're gifted in a way to articulate their faith and lead people to Christ. Again, Acts 21.8, Philip is described as an evangelist. Paul clearly had the gift. Peter, uh, Simon Peter, in his first time out evangelizing, 3,000 people believed. It's a special ability to communicate the gospel. Now, when I think of an evangelist, again, I think of the late Billy Graham because he was like the evangelist of evangelists. He reached more people for Christ than any other evangelist in history. I think of his son Franklin Graham, and certainly my first pastor, Pastor Greg Laurie in the Harvest Crusades. They had the gift of evangelism. But to, to have the, the gift of evangelism doesn't mean, well, I gotta go out and do big, you know, evangelistic crusades. I can, I got the gift, but only if I can speak in front of 10,000 people. Well, then no one would use that gift. But there are people who have this one-on-one gift of evangelism, evangelism where they can easily strike up a conversation to a complete stranger. And share Christ. That's a special gift that God has given. Now, not every person has been called to evangelist, but we've all been called to share the gospel. But again, at the same time, there are those who are uniquely called and gifted to articulate the gospel, and they're uniquely gifted to lead people to Christ. I think of Pastor Raul Reese in, in Calvary Chapel, uh, Golden Springs. Uh, and this was probably a couple of years back, and, and it was a Wednesday night. I was visiting a church nearby where he was teaching, and I didn't, couldn't follow a study. I, I mean, I'm going, okay, I don't, I don't get the point. I mean, but at the end of the study, he gave an altar call, and 30 people came forward. I'm going, how does that happen? <laughs> the gift of evangelism, did it touch the heart, and they came forward. Finally, the last one on the list here in Ephesians 4:11, Paul says, and he himself gave some to be pastors and teachers. Now, it says pastors and teachers, but I look at this really as pastor slash teacher. And I think it's the right way of looking at it, because for all practical purposes, you can't be a pastor without being a teacher. You can be a teacher without being a pastor, and certainly God has gifted many people here in our body to be teachers to our, our kids in Sunday school, you know, teachers to the ladies in our women's studies, even the elders in our church have been given the gift of teaching. But for all practical purposes, you cannot be a pastor without being a teacher. Because the calling of a pastor is to feed the flock of God. And to declare the whole counsel of God. Old Testament, New Testament. And the more I hear about the different styles of teachers in the different churches today, the greater need I see for Bible exposition. That is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book teaching of the Word of God. You know, there are people today that minister today that essentially they get up, they'll read a text, and that becomes their point of de- departure. 
you know, they're, they're springboard. They take off and, and who knows where they go. They never come back to that text again or to the Bible again. They'll tell a bunch of stories, stand up and, and kind of ramble. In fact, I've heard of those that, that, that many don't even prepare for their message. They say, I'm just going to receive it right there on the spot. And after listening to it, you wonder what spot they received it from. <laughs> crazy. Because God has called pastor teachers to rightly divide the word of God and to teach it to the people. And, and I think that Hosea's cry is relevant for our time as well when he said in Hosea 4.6 My people are perishing because of a lack of knowledge. What people need to hear is Bible exposition. The business of the, of the preacher in a sense is not to attract a crowd but to preach the word. I'm not called to preach politics. I'm not called to preach psychology. I'm not called to be a comedian, though I try very hard at times, but uh, I'm called to preach the word. And what it boils down to is the people will, will uh, develop an appetite to what you feed them. And I believe that. I mean, there are those who say, well, you know, you can't expect someone to sit for 35 to 40 minutes in a Bible study. You need to do, you know, maybe this drama or do this, this special music, do this and all this high-tech imagery. Maybe for a new believer, but what I found for new believers is they want to dig into the Word. And what you find is, 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 again, you teach them the Word, they're going to develop an appetite for what you feed them. If you feed them fun and games all the time, that's what they'll want. If you feed them dramas, you know, and, and skits, that's what they'll want. But if you feed them the Word of God, they're going to want more of the Word of God. They're going to develop a hunger for the Word of God. I mean, most of you here today came with your Bibles because what? You came for a Bible study. You know we're going to look at the text. We're going to open it up. We're going to read it. We're going to look at what it means. We're going to cross-reference it to other verses. We're going to read definitions, illustrations, and applications. You're here for a Bible study. That's what God has called us to be a part of and to use the gifts that God has given to us in this body of believers. Romans 12, 5 tells us this in verse 6, 5 and 6. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. See, each one of us has been given gifts to accomplish that work that God is calling us to do. They have specialized functions. You know, the gifts that we have, they're, they're like electrical appliances. There's a great variety. I mean, you have computers and tablets and washers and dryers and microwaves and blenders and, and toasters. But they all share one common link. They require electricity. They all operate off of the same power. They need to be plugged in. So too, in the body of Christ, in these various gifts all operating off the same power, the power of God in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Maybe in this list in, in uh, Ephesians, uh, you don't see some of your gifts. Uh, how about Romans chapter 12? Look again at Romans 12. Now look at verses 6 to 8. It will be up on the screen. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy let us prophesy in the proportion of our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives us liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now here's a, just a number of gifts that we don't often hear much about. How about the gift of exhortation? Where teaching gives us the foundation of working out the truth of God in one's life, the gift of, of exhortation makes us want to do it. 
See, the word exhortation means to correct, to motivate, to stimulate, and to excite. And there's just certain people in the church that, that, that are gifted in exhorting. Some people are, are, are good teachers and say, here's what the Bible says, and they tell you what to do. But there are certain people that just makes you want to go out and do it. They encourage you. Come on, we can do this. Let me help you. Maybe God's given you that gift. Acts 14.22, it speaks of this gift, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Hebrews 10 tells us that we should be exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So you come to church and someone walks up to you and says, so how are you doing spiritually? You know, I've been praying for you. Is there anything I can do to help you? I really want to encourage you in your faith. That's a gift of exhortation. A person is using that gift. I found a good poem to describe this gift of exhortation. It goes like this. I saw them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a dusty town. With a yo-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman if these men were as skilled as the men had hire if he were to build. He laughed and said, oh no indeed, common labor is all I need. For those men can wreck in a day or two what builders has taken years to do. I asked myself as I went, to wet, went my way, which kind of role am I to play? Am I the builder who builds with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Am I the wrecker who walks the town, content with the role of tearing down? See, the person with the gift of exhortation is one who has the gift of building one another up, encouraging one another. How about the gift of giving? Romans 12 talks about that. He who gives with liberality. Now, although God's called us all to give, at the same time the Bible teaches there are certain people who are gifted in giving. They have this special ability that has been supernaturally given to them by the Lord to give to others. Maybe it's because the Lord has blessed them with the resources, but many times those with this gift aren't necessarily what we would consider well off. They just love to give and they have that special ability in it. That often works in, in a, a conjunction with the gift of hospitality. Just loving someone, making them feel, you know, at home, inviting strangers to your home. All of these gifts work together in the body of Christ. He says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's an extraordinary ability from God to show mercy to people. You may say, well, what could be the value of that? Listen, if you've been in a hospital before and you're down and you're hurting, what do you need? Who do you need there to be with you? Do you need someone with the gift of teaching? <laughs> As you're lying there in bed in, in pain, get out your Bible and turn to this page. You don't necessarily need a sermon. How about a gift of evangelism? Well, you're already saved, you know. That's pretty much covered. Maybe the gift of giving. That might help after you get out of the hospital to cover the bills. What you need is someone to come in with the gift of mercy. And I've seen people when I have gone into hospitals and watched them minister this gift of mercy much better than I could ever minister to, to them in the hospital. They just put their arm around them and say, man, I, I just love you right now and I just want to pray for you. And, and, and that's exactly what they need. Maybe you have that gift of mercy. You're behind the scenes. You're not in the spotlight, so to speak, just using your gift, showing mercy to those in need. So many gifts we can talk about that are available to us. I would encourage you to go back and read Ephesians 4. Read Romans chapter 12. Go through these gifts. And, and then this week, ask the Lord to show you what gifts He's given you. And then as the Scriptures say, begin to develop and cultivate them for this new year and beyond. 
Maybe God's given you a gift of teaching. And just because, you know, I, I, I teach, it doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity for you to use your gift. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, if you can teach children in a children's ministry, you can teach adults. Because they ask the hard questions. Maybe step out of the children's ministry. Maybe teaching in the convalescent ministry. Maybe start a home study. You know, take that step of faith and say, God, I want to use the gifts that you've given me. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality where you can invite a new person over for lunch after service. The gift of mercy, hospital visitation, prison visitation. Maybe you have the gift of prayer. Get involved with the prayer ministry at the church. Or we have the meals ministry at the church. We can prepare meals for those who are sick or have just given birth or maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe you're not called to, to preach, man. You're called to, to, to cook. I've been a benefactor of, of, of many of those, those gifts. You have the gift of exhortation. Come out to the men's study or the women's study. Get involved. Use those gifts that God has given you to encourage and edify the people of God. This brings us to our last two points. Number one was the gifts. Number two, the purpose. Number three, the results. We'll go through these quickly. What is number two, the purpose? Look at verses 12 through 15 of Ephesians 4. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul says, he lays it out here, the purpose of gifts to the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Not a one-man job. We all have a job to do. And we use those gifts, we're equipping each other for the work of the ministry. And as we grow in those gifts, we grow in maturity. We're no longer going to be tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine. We come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, God has given each one of us at least one spiritual gift with a purpose to be used for the unifying and edifying and the building up of the body of Christ. And our last point, the result will impact our world. Look at verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That Greek word is not literally speaking in verse 15, but rather some have coined the phrase, truthing it in love. It's like this. You know, when you, you come into, you know, it's like a, go to Cracker Barrel and they have their big fireplace right there and they got the fire going in there. You, you're drawn to it and you're drawn, drawn to, the, to the warmth of that, you know, especially if it's cold outside. That's a, the perfect combination of truth and love. Now, I have a, a, a video that we play. It's a little disc and CD that we play in our TV, in our bedroom when at Christmas time when Lisa's wrapping the presents. Um, and it's a video of a of a fireplace with the crackling sounds and all that. So we put it on there, and, and you know, there's, there's no warmth in it. It's just a video. Now she can wrap, you know, 15 presents to my one present, and so I just go for it. But but uh, she, she wants that that fireplace just to feel like we have a fireplace in the bedroom. It's fake, you know. And in the same way, it's like this: truth without love is like the light of a fire without warmth. Love without truth is like the heat of a fire without light. Truth without love makes people cold in the light, and love without truth makes people stumble in the dark. 
So we need both. To speak the truth in love. We need the truth of God's word working in and through our lives and we need to live it out and love what we've learned. The result, everyone will be working together, growing not only in our relationship with Jesus Christ, but growing as a church, lifting one another up. In other words, we all have a part to play in this thing called the body of Christ, the church. When everyone does their part, the result is we grow. We grow in love one for another. We grow in strength to resist the enemy and the tactics of the enemy. And we grow in numbers. As we close, God has given you gifts or gifts. Your job is to discover what they are, cultivate them, develop them, and use them. And when you start doing that, the church is going to be so much more meaningful to you. When you come to the church and say, God, you blessed me so much. I want to give back. What can I do to serve the body of believers here? I mean, when you do that, it will bring revival to your heart. You have an outlet for all what God has done in your life. There's a place for you. Place for you. Find out what gifts you are and use them. This week, pray, Lord, in the coming year, show me what those gifts are that I might use them for your glory. Again, verse 7, But to each one of us, grace was given accordingly to the measure of Christ's gift. When I think about the greatest gift ever given to us, it blows me away. When God gave the gift of His Son to us to die on that cross and rise again from the grave, to give us eternal life, it wasn't something that He just thought of on the fly. Long before there was a town called Bethlehem, a garden called Eden, a planet called Earth, a decision was made in eternity that God would send forth His Son, born of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who are under the law. The Bible says in Revelation 13.8, He was slain from the foundation of the world. Listen, make no mistake about it. This gift that God has given to us was the most sacrificial thing that He could offer. He gave of Himself. You see, Christmas isn't about those gifts you may or may not have received under the tree. All those gifts will be gone one day. And what will be left is the life, is the human soul, and that will live forever. You know, we put so much stock on what we have, but this is all going to pass away. Life is about what happens beyond the grave. Life is knowing the God who made you and who gave you the greatest gift you'll ever receive, salvation. And if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, I encourage you, receive the gift of salvation today, the forgiveness of your sin. Be born again today. God can wipe away every sin you've ever committed, but you've got to come to Him in repentance and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of it. You do that, He'll give you the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. He'll give you gifts to use to glorify Him. And He'll give you eternal life. What a better Christmas present than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to You, they're not born again this morning, but they desire to have their sin forgiven, to have the guilt of sin and shame taken away from them, And they want to commit their life to you this morning. I pray, Lord, you would touch their hearts. That they would receive the best gift of all, the gift of salvation. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you've not received the gift of salvation, but you want to this morning? If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? I want to give this offer. Jesus is offering it to you. He's standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. If any man opens the door, he will come in and dine with him, the Bible says. Have fellowship with you. If you want your sin forgiven, you want to be born again, just raise your hand this morning and I'll pray for you. 
Father, thank you for us as believers that you've not left us on this earth alone, but you've given us your Holy Spirit to live this life pleasing to you. Lord, we ask for a special filling of your Holy Spirit that we may go out and by you, be used by you in a mighty way. And in this coming year, Lord, bring you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.